Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 47, Fetal Heart Monitoring, Part 1. When starting my podcast, I listened to advice about how to make a podcast. A key choice was music, a theme tune, a hallmark as it were, something that would immediately alert the listener to the fact an episode was beginning or ending, something that would also become associated with the podcast. So listeners would know, ah, yes, this is the OBS pod I'm listening to. You can create your own sounds and music if you have the talent, but for those of us that don't, there are websites where you can, for a very modest sum, purchase a sound effect or tune. It was a tricky choice finding something from the huge number of choices, something that I liked, something that worked in the context of my subject, a sound that felt right. And again and again, I found myself returning to the sound of a fetal heartbeat monitor. It's a sound, a rhythm, present in my day-to-day work. I'm highly tuned to its rate changes. It evokes a strong feeling and action without even looking at the numbers. Given its importance to me and its sound being central to my podcast, how come I haven't chosen to talk about it? Perhaps because fetal heart monitoring is a topic grounded in controversy. I know there are very polarised views and challenges about how we use fetal heart monitoring. Discussions and conversations between midwives, obstetricians, those supporting pregnant women and the women themselves. There are very firmly held beliefs. And these challenges and differences go right to the very top with disagreements about approach and guidance. As the one-year anniversary of my podcast approaches, I've decided it's time to delve into this topic. I'm not going to attempt to discuss in-depth evidence or justify differing approaches. My aim is to give my view and hope to try and bring a little clarity to the issues on this subject. It's a large subject, and for that reason... I've chosen to split it into two. This week I'm going to talk about fetal heartbeat monitoring in the antenatal period during pregnancy. In the beginning, when we listen in, we're literally just checking the baby's alive, that the pregnancy is ongoing. It sounds really harsh, but that is it. We're not listening to the rate, not the pattern, just is it there? We can usually hear the fetal heart in clinic with our handheld Doppler machine from about 16 weeks. In some slim women, we can hear earlier 
the womb enlarges above the shadow of the pelvic brim by 12 to 14 weeks. And then we can find it. Sometimes it's tricky to find because the baby is so small that one can't always feel exactly where it is. So we have to take a bit of a guess. Which side of the womb feels a little fuller? Listen over there. That might be where we'll pick it up. So I usually warn women, don't worry, it might take me a moment to find your baby's heartbeat. It's quite early. Don't worry if we don't hear it immediately. It doesn't mean there's a problem. We will pick up the woman's pulse readily if we hold the Doppler over any of her major blood vessels. But we know that that will be slower. Or we may pick up the placental circulation, which has a different calibre sound, a sort of whooshing sound, in contrast to the more clippity-clop style of the baby. These days we're listening in clinic with a Doppler sonicade which works using ultrasound waves being reflected back off the moving heart to a probe so that the sound is audible to the mother. She can hear what we're hearing. Before this became commonplace, we would listen with a pinard stethoscope, an instrument placed on the woman's abdomen, a little bit shaped like an ear trumpet, and we would press our ears to it and hear the heartbeat ourselves. In some ways, this was a really intimate, lovely way to check a baby's heartbeat. The disadvantage was that the woman couldn't hear it. She would have to trust us that we'd heard it. The description of the sound in my 1930s book on obstetrics captures it beautifully. The muffled ticking of a watch heard through a pillow. It does sound a little bit like that. A heartbeat seemingly very distant. In the present era of technology, some couples will purchase their own Doppler machine and listen at home or use an app. But we don't encourage this. I know it's tempting to be able to listen to your baby whenever you want, wherever you want, reassure yourself but you might not be able to successfully differentiate the baby from the placenta or your own heart rate. And this might lead to false reassurance or panic you if you can't hear it successfully. A normal baby's heart rate is 110 to 160 beats per minute. So massively faster than an adult. But this is actually an oversimplification The baseline rate varies with the months of pregnancy. It's faster earlier on and slows down closer to the due date. As with adults, it's also dependent on activity. If the baby's moving, then the heart rate will increase and then decrease when the activity settles. Just the same as if an adult runs down the road, their heart rate will go up. Earlier in pregnancy, there are much wider fluctuations in the heart rate as the systems that control heart rate have not yet fully matured. So it's not uncommon when we're listening or doing an ultrasound at 20 weeks to see or hear the heart rate slow down considerably and then speed up. These transient changes in the heart rate are totally normal. Sometimes it worries women when they hear that slow down, speed up, or hear the heart rate going very slowly. We need to reassure them, it's entirely normal. 
Even at the end of pregnancy, the variability in baseline heart rate is between 5 and 15 beats per minute. So the rhythm we listen to actually isn't regular. We should hear the heartbeat speed up and slow down as we listen. As the baby gets bigger and the months of pregnancy pass, it becomes much easier for us to locate the heartbeat. We can more accurately identify what position the baby is lying in and therefore listen to the heartbeat over the baby's back. There are also myths about the baby's heart rate being related to the baby's gender. and This is simply an old wives' tale. There's nothing in it that if it's faster or slower, it'll be a boy or a girl. When a woman reaches 28 weeks of pregnancy, rather than simply listening in for a short period, we can do a longer check, an electronic heartbeat trace, called a CTG. CTG stands for cardio tocograph. Cardio because it assesses the baby's heartbeat and tocograph because it will assess if there's any activity of the womb muscle, the uterine muscle contracting or tightening. It's a simple test. Two discs are placed on the woman's abdomen. One is an ultrasound probe placed over the baby's heartbeat and the other is a pressure sensor which can go anywhere on the womb, but is usually best placed at the top of the womb, otherwise known as the fundus. This will detect the muscular contractions. The resulting printout gives us a recording of the baby's heartbeat over time and tells us if there are any contractions or tightenings. In America, this is sometimes known as a non-stress test. The discs are secured with elastic bands, elastic belts that wrap around the woman's abdomen and will also give the woman a button to click if she feels her baby move and these movements will be marked on the resulting recording. We can use this method of monitoring if a woman reports her baby is moving less or if she's admitted with pain or bleeding. She's not in labour but this CTG can tell us how this baby is at this specific point in time. We can also use this method of monitoring if we're planning a procedure. Perhaps we're going to try and turn the baby from bottom down to head down or think about inducing labour. We'll start with an antenatal CTG to assure ourselves that the baby is healthy before we begin. So I can hear you thinking... Where is the controversy? All sounds quite straightforward. The difficulty in controversy occurs in how we interpret what we see. The accepted way of looking at a CTG and the resulting action we take. And what is a CTG testing for? On the whole, a CTG is a screening test. Remember, a screening test won't definitely pick up a problem it will tell you what the chances of a problem being present. So CTG is actually a screening test for hypoxia, that is the baby being short of oxygen. It doesn't have terribly good sensitivity and specificity. That means sometimes a heartbeat trace will be seen to be abnormal and the baby will be absolutely fine. This may lead to us over-intervening. And I'm going to come on to talk about that in more detail next week. 
Actually, although CCG is a screening test for hypoxia, there are other things that we might be able to detect. We might be able to detect the baby being anemic. This can sometimes see in a sinusoidal pattern in the baseline rate or reduced variability. We might be able to pick up infection. We might be able to pick up a heart block or arrhythmia in the baby. We can look at these features and interpret what we see. But the test is reliant on us having sufficient understanding to draw the right conclusions and take the right action indicated as a result. A very accepted way of looking at a CTG has an acronym, Dr. CQ Bravado. Dr. DR stands for defining risk. Define risk. I'm so used to using those words. As I listened back to my recording to edit this section of the podcast, I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, risk. There's that risk word again. Everything in obstetrics, we're defining by risk. What we mean is, what's the background? What's the context? Is this a growth-restricted baby? Is it a multiple pregnancy? Does the woman have blood pressure? So, what is the background, the context in which we're listening to this baby and interpreting this baby's heartbeat? That's what we mean. Define risk. But there it is, the R word once again. Something I hadn't thought about before. C stands for contractions or tightenings. These appear like little hillocks on the tocograph, the bottom bit of the tracing. The height does not tell us how strong the contractions are. We can only tell that from the way the woman is behaving and by feeling palpating with our hands but it does tell us the timing of the contractions. How frequently are they coming? And is there resting tone? Is there a rest in between contractions, which is important for the well-being of the baby? The timing is also important to know, because when we see changes in the baby's heartbeat, where those changes are in relationship to the contractions tells us about how the baby's responding. Next, Q. Q stands for quality. What does that mean? Well, sometimes it's difficult to monitor a baby because it's moving around a lot. So quality may be impacted because there's what we call loss of contact. We're getting gaps in the heartbeat tracing. We're not getting an accurate, consistent picture all the time. This can be more difficult also if a woman is more overweight. If there's a large depth of maternal tissue between our ultrasound transducer and the baby we're listening to. It can make things more challenging. The other thing that can make life challenging is if a woman is moving around. And that's where we come to the disadvantage of monitoring, of a woman being sat on a bed, effectively tied down. Then we come to baseline rate. I've already mentioned the baseline rate on the whole should be between 110 and 160. But as we listen in in clinic, we should document, write down, what is that baby's normal baseline rate? That means when later on we want to monitor that baby in labour, we know what was usual for that baby before labour began. 
And this normal rate will change as the baby matures and the pregnancy comes closer to the end. V stands for variability. 5 to 15 beats per minute is normal. We can see reduced variability, less than 5, or we can see increased variability, 5 to 25 or even above. Both of those can be concerning. A stands for accelerations. These are increases in the heart rate, 15 beats per minute above the baseline for more than 15 seconds. These are normally seen during a period of the baby being active. And then decelerations, more than 15 beats per minute below the baseline. Again, these can sometimes be a normal variation, but less so on an antenatal trace. O stands for overall view. So having gone through that Dr. CQ bravado, we form an overall view of the well-being of the baby. From what we've looked at, each aspect of that heartbeat trace, what do we think is happening with this baby? As I mentioned, the test is reliant on us, us having sufficient knowledge and understanding to accurately draw the right conclusions from what we see. As we know, we are human. Humans are fallible. Humans make mistakes. So is it possible to get a computer to read that baby's heartbeat trace and draw conclusions? Antenatally, we can use something called the Dawes-Redmond criteria. When we start a heartbeat tracing, we can input into the machine what gestation, how many weeks and days pregnant the woman is. We can use the Dawes-Redmond criteria. And I've attached a link about the development of this in the programme notes. Dawes, a physiologist, and Redmond, an obstetrician, worked together to look at the patterns of the baby's heartbeat to see whether we could predict which babies would be fine and which babies would have difficult outcomes. Over many years since it started, they've analysed tens of thousands of babies' heartbeat traces and this has led to the computer being able to compare any baby's heartbeat trace with those traces and recognise what are the features that are really important. The Dawes-Redmond criteria mean that with confidence, if the criteria met, you can say very quickly that that baby is okay. The woman may be strapped to the monitor for a much shorter time, maybe only 10 or 15 minutes, whereas previously we might have a woman being monitored for an hour. If the Dawes-Redmond criteria are not met, then that's an alarm bell for us. We need to understand why. We need to look at that baby in much more depth, much more detail. Of course, it's not fail-safe. No test ever is. But antenatally, the Dawes-Redmond criteria are exceptionally useful in reassuring us and women and also allowing us not to waste women's time, not to keep them tied to those monitors 
not to be monitoring them for an excessively long time and not subjecting them to the possibility of human error. Moving to today's zesty bit. Understand why you're doing a CTG or listening in. Think about what you're looking for. Explain to the woman what you're looking for and record what you hear. If a CTG does not meet Dawes Redman, why not? What is the reason and the implications? And what action do you need to take to make sure that that baby is safe? If you're not using Dawes Redman in your unit, consider could you? Go back and look at the evidence and think about whether that might be something beneficial for the women you're caring for, their babies, and also for staff. If you're a pregnant woman listening to this, understand what we're doing when we're listening into your baby or suggesting a heartbeat monitor. Why are we suggesting it? What are we looking for? And if you have worries about your baby or your baby's movements, then please contact your maternity service. Don't try and sort it out and reassure yourself at home. Make sure you seek help. I'm going to end there today, but I do hope that you'll join me for the next part of Fetal Heartbeat Monitoring, part two next week, when I'm going to tackle the much more thorny issue of baby heartbeat monitoring during labour. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obs Pod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FWMaternity or at The Obs Pod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the OBSPOD to friends or colleagues. And please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.